I appreciate when you allow me to kind of think aloud and uh, meander through various thoughts that I have. And in, in this season, my, as, I've, as I've referenced, um, kind of my theme, and that is looking through the prism of Christmas to understand, uh, I think more accurately and appreciatively uh, of, of what our story of Christmas is actually all about. My first thoughts this, for this morning have to do with what we would consider great novels or great stories. And I quickly jotted down a few that I know you've read, not that uh, I've read them all, but I think I have except one. Um, Gone with the Wind, that's a great story. And it's a story of, with, with multiple characters, multiple personalities uh, interwoven as we follow it. And we are able then to, when we finally get to the last page, we understand the title, Gone with the Wind. Uh, War and Peace is another one. That is a great one by Tolstoy. Don Quixote uh, is another one. Uh, Cervetes, it's a great one. Follows his life and his pilgrimage, um, James Joyce, Ulysses, wrote that. I, I personally like Moby Dick uh, because when you read that, uh, you finally realize uh, of all the, all the intermingling of the accounts, uh, what, what led Herman Mivel to, to uh, title his book Moby Dick. Now, there's Withering, Wuthering Heights. Um, one of my favorites by John Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath. And because it, uh, many of us were fortunate to be able to visit and have family that themselves went through the Depression or the Great Dust Bowl. And so it added to that. My point of that is that many, there were many stories in each of these novels that led us to understand the total picture of the, knowledge, uh, of the novel. Great stories. Well, we have a story, and it's our story of Christmas, and that's what we celebrate, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ, which we will be looking at more succinctly and accurately next, next week. But this morning, I, I want to start off with our story, kind of as it's encapsulated, in the gospel, but then I want to visit, I want us to look at stories that have led us to our story throughout the scriptures. And I think, I think that when we do that, the, the, my, my analogy of prism begins to maybe be more clear. Light, we see light as just light, but through a prism, we're able to see the various colors that make up light. And I think that likewise, when we look at the various stories that have been recorded for our benefit, um, you know, we, we shift the prism and we see it from this perspective, uh, from this individual, from this prophet, uh, from God himself, even from the angels, which you'll look at this morning. We see different hues uh, of color, the story, 
And it gives us, I think, a, a greater understanding, more appreciative of what we're about to celebrate with our story of Christmas. Luke chapter 2 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, she was great with child. Not yet delivered, but she was great with child. That's our story. We focus on that. That's how we understand Christmas. But I want to look at what has led us to our story. I'd like to begin with, I think, the best observers uh, I won't say sideline observers, but the best observers of, of how this all began and how it has culminated in our story. In the book of Revelation, we have various accounts from various entities that are divine. Angels are some of them. And as I was looking at that, I realized that I could at least say with some confidence that, that in the book of Revelation, it's not necessarily what is going to happen, but it is also what has happened in our past or our time. The angels would say this, because they've said this in the Revelation. The angels would say, well, there was a war. It broke out in heaven. And Michael and other angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. There was not a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon, which we'll later learn is Satan, was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. It was even said in the scriptures that when he was cast out, the angels viewed him as lightning that fell from heaven. So where did he go? Well, we know that in the beginning, the earth was without shape or form, void darkness, and we know that in the New Testament, the place that's been described for Satan and the devil is the place of darkness. So my thought was, well, you know, we maybe thought that when God created Adam and Eve, you know, he created it. No, I'm beginning to think that perhaps he was just there waiting until he could do his damage. And he did. The scriptures tell us, as the angels observed, what happened, that God created man and woman, the Garden of Eden, the earth. It was beautiful. It was, it was everything that God, in his mind, pictured as perfection. However, the serpent, the devil, Satan was there waiting. And the angel's observation was that he was more cunning than anything that had been created, which the Lord had made. And so he tempted the woman, the woman fell, the woman tempted the man, he fell. And because of that, 
God then realized that there was a problem in, in, in his creation. Not that it was the problem he created, but it was a problem that was there. And it was a very powerful problem, a very um, effective problem. Uh, the angels, I think, would be able to say, as we could read through uh, Revelation in various places, that they observed that the angel of light, Satan, devil, the dragon, the serpent, that he was a provoker. They observed him in the book of Job as being an accuser. He would tempt, he would afflict, he would resist. We know that the angels could also say that he could counterfeit and be an angel of light. They observed that he was able to sift people's spirit as wheat. They would be able to say that he was subtle, and even later it would be said that he was a, like a roaring lion, liar, a murderer, a killer of men, more powerful than God's mankind, a beast. And that's why in Revelation he is referred to as the beast. The angels refer to him as the beast. The angels realized that as beautiful as mankind was and what the intent was, was falling short of this great, great adversary because they knew the adversary. You see, we, we don't have the names of all the angels. We know there are tens of thousands of legions, but we do know a few, both from the scriptures and then also from Jewish history. Gabriel, we've heard that Gabriel is in our Christmas story. We also know that Michael, the archangel, is the one who did battle with Satan. And we know from Jewish history that Raphael was also an angel that was involved. So if it was just those three, they knew the power of this adversary and they knew what kind of damage that it would do to mankind, God's creation. That's why in the book of Revelation, they have such questions as who is able to make war with him? Who is able to have flames of fire like him? Who is it that can live forever and ever because that adversary brings death? Who is worthy to open eternal life when no one else can? John, in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> as he was being revealed these things about the adversary uh, by the angel that had come to visit him about things past, present, and the future... John said, you know, I, I looked and I wept because in earth, in heaven, there was no one that I could see, not one man that was able to do battle with this adversary. And I wept much because no one was found worthy. And then an angel said to him, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he will prevail because he's the one who created heaven, the things that are in the earth, the things that are, the sea, the things, everything. The, he will prevail. Now that's what the angels, that was their observation. That's their story. 
So you see, the angels understand our story much, much better so often than we do. But then there's God's account, his account, his story. What has led us to our Christmas story? Very early on, after the Garden of Eden, God saw mankind in his creation and with all of his good intention, yet leaving man the freedom of choice, he saw something that was very disturbing to him. In fact, the scriptures say that he saw the wickedness of man was so great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the scripture says it grieved him. God says himself, I looked, there has been no man among mankind. There has been no one among them who is worthy to be a counselor. I look at their works. They seem to be nothing. Their sins have separated them from me. They will not listen to me. No one any longer calls for justice. They don't plead for truth. They, my creation, gropes like blind men in the night. Their transgressions seem to pile and be multiplied over and over and over. Justice has turned her back on mankind, and righteousness now stands afar off, and truth has fallen off in the street. That was God's observation. And I think that's the story, his part, that is going to give us understanding what leads us to our story of Christmas. Because God, after he observed that, he had a remedy for mankind's misery. The book of Isaiah tells us that this is what God says. He says, because of mankind's story and their misery and the adversary, I myself will give you a sign. He said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. The child will be, and a son will be given, and he will be called Wonderful. He will be called Counselor. He will be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He will be called the Prince of Peace. He will be a king that will reign in righteousness and a man that will provide a hiding place from the wind for my mankind. He will be a cover for my creation from the tempest of wickedness. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away tears from all faces. They will say, he is God. We have waited for him. He is now with us. Mankind will say, this is the Lord. The spirit of God will be upon him when I send him. He will declare and he will preach and he will teach good tidings to the poor. He will heal the brokenhearted. He will proclaim liberty to those who are in chains 
and he will open the prisons to those who are bound by their sins. That's God's remedy of his observation of the misery of mankind. And his story, his words, give us a little more understanding as to how we have and why we have our Christmas story. But then you have the prophets. The prophets, they knew things that a lot of people didn't know simply because God shared with them by his Holy Spirit and, 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 and moved on them and let them know. One of the prophets, Isaiah, says this, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice and that evil makes righteousness a prey. The prophets knew that God saw that there was no man. In fact, Isaiah writes, there has been no intercessor, no one to help us. Therefore, God himself has brought salvation and will bring salvation to us. And it will be his righteousness that sustain who he sends. Daniel, another prophet, it was revealed to him and it was promised to him that this was going to be resolved, that ultimately it's not one story, it's not one sliver of light or hue of color, it's not one stroke of a paint, but there was a total picture being, being formed. We understand it as our Christmas story, but there are many other things that lead up to that. Daniel, one night, was in a dream And then he recounted this dream. He says, one like a man coming out of the clouds of heaven came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before me and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That prophet had a promise. And so his story is much like Isaiah's and also like Micah, another prophet who said something very interesting hundreds of years before it actually took place. But Micah the prophet says, You, Bethlehem, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth one to be the ruler, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And he will give life, and he will give hope at the time that she who is in labor will give birth. So, these several stories, as they are intermingled and come together, begin to give us, I think, a fuller understanding of our Christmas story, what we celebrate, how we celebrate it. Each story leads to the beginning of our Christmas story, and that brings me then to the next phase of, let's say, this novel or this story. The scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ has always been, yesterday, today, and forever. But there's even more to be said. The apostle accounts this, more from the past, not because it's present, but from the past. It says that Jesus Christ, even though he was in the form of God and in the presence of God, he was equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of mankind, bondservant, becoming in the likeness of humanity. That is who we call Jesus Christ, who was there. And he, too, 
is the one who ultimately said, I'm the one who beheld Satan as falling from lightning from heaven. So he knew the misery that mankind was suffering because of this. Jesus Christ offered himself before he ever made the descent into humanity with these words. I was in the beginning. I am the beginning. I am God. All things I have made. All things are in me and I in them. I have life. And this life that I have is and can be the light of mankind. I am the light and the only light that can shine in darkness, even though darkness will not comprehend it. In heaven, it was said long before we read it, I will give light to everyone who comes into the world. And as many as receive me, I will give them the right to become the children of God and not the victims of wickedness. And those who become children of God will become children of God, not by flesh, not by man, but by God. So therefore, we now begin to get close to our story. At some point, even though it was already decided how our Christmas story was going to unfold, at some point, it was not yet right. But then the scriptures tell us something. It says, in the fullness of time, when time had finally come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And that's where we find now Gabriel. Gabriel's been waiting for eons, has he not? He observed the adversary. He watched Michael fought, fight with him. He was ready. And so when he received the command, he dutifully obeyed God Almighty. Gabriel, in the sixth month, was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came in unto her and said, Hail, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are blessed among women. Now when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and in her mind she wondered what kind of salutation or greeting this was. But Gabriel said to her, Fear not, Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive, and you will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, For the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of all eternity. And of his kingdom, Mary, there will never ever be an end. Meanwhile, Joseph, he too had a visit 
from an angel who had observed all of the various stories that we had just covered. And that angel also, maybe it was Gabriel, Raphael, I'm not for sure, but he was ready too to deliver these good news. The scriptures say that an angel came to Joseph in a dream and said this, Joseph, fear not to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. She shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their misery. Now, when all this was done, this is exactly what the prophets had said earlier in the earlier stories, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, God is with us. As a single hue combines with other hues and ultimately shifts into what we call light. Likewise, do these various stories, like a shifting prism, reveal to us that one ray of light. And that brings us then to, in closing, why and how we have come to celebrate our Christmas story. And this is where I'll end. So it came to pass that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and all went to be taxed. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, and under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Mary had been told the previous story. Joseph had been told the previous story. And because of that, they were going to Bethlehem. They were going to be taxed. And the scripture says, this final verse, she was being great with child. Such is our, our Christmas story. There are many stories and accounts and observations and things that happened that have led us to what we celebrate. But we can only understand the greatness of the story by seeing all the various stories that lead us up to that. So that's why we say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, because for us, Mankind, it is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving for us that which we would not know unless you saw fit to share your concern and love for us. I thank you, Father, for our Lord who willingly left the portals of heaven and came and lived among us and dwelt among us in order that he himself might meet 
not only his adversary, but Lord, ours. On our best day, Lord, you know our hearts. We think we're strong, but even on our best day, we are no match for the wickedness of Satan and the devil. How he turns and he tempts and he, he afflicts us. He sifts us. So we're thankful that we are able to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ during this season. And may we always lift up his name in our minds and hearts and give you thanks for your love to us by giving us Jesus Christ. And we'll give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen.